Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. I'm Shane Hewitt on The Shift. We're going to KMOX, and uh, it's not Ryan Recker. Hello, not Ryan Recker. Are you there? <laughs> hey, Shane, Brad Young here, filling in for Ryan Recker. Uh, it is uh, Captain Brad Young, by the way. I decided that uh, Brad Young Captain is the kind Br- of name <laughs> that deserves a captain in front. So I have dubbed the Captain Brad Young, just so you know. Oh, well, well, thank you. And actually, uh, I, I fill in for Ryan. I fill in for other folks here on X. I'm actually a practicing attorney. I have my law firm here. But if I were in your neck of the woods, I guess you'd be calling me either a barrister or a solicitor because you don't you don't call them attorneys in Canada, do you? Not so much. We pretty much toss everybody in the old lawyer category. Okay. <laughs> well, I try not to mention that when I go to parties, because if you mention yeah, you're well, an attorney, people start drinking heavily and walking away from you. Well, that's a buzzkill, isn't it, right? That's, like, it's I mean, a complete buzzkill. <laughs> like, I can't imagine a more boring party than a bunch of lawyers hanging out. Uh, like, let's just know, be honest. It, let's call it what it pe- is. It is. And people ask me, they say, Brad, is your wife an attorney? And I say, oh, my goodness. Thank goodness. No. I mean, that would be a terrible combination. Well, let's uh, let's question her her judgment anyway. For well, that's one. that that's that's valid on many points. Hey, you know, last year I got to I got to tell you this, Shane. Last year, my family vacation, myself and my kids, we went to Nova Scotia. So that's where we went on vacation last year, and we were in mm-hmm. Halifax, and we went to the we went to the coast in Nova Scotia. But when I came back, everybody here just asked me a million questions about whether I went to Oak Island. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess my question is, is, is Oak Island a big thing uh, for folks in Canada in terms of the, you know, all the theories about what could be down there and what they find? Is that a big thing in Canada? No, no, <laughs> no it's not. It's really not. I uh, when, when people talk about Nova Scotia as Canadians, they, you know, they sort of, you know, it's there. It's one of those things you hear about. It's kind of like you hear about the Bay of Fundy, which is just down the road. And so I was there. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the big tides and all those things, I would say that is more alive in the in the folklore and the conversation as opposed to sort of the treasure hunting of uh, what is Oak Island. I, I just it's such a beautiful place. How in the world could you just not love every single possible pit or piece of it? Yeah, and and we don't have to get into conspiracy theories. I mean, there's so much there to love and to enjoy in that whole Nova Scotia Bay of Fundy area uh, that I, I really didn't want to spend much time at all on the conspiratorial Oak Island because there was too many other cool, interesting, and beautiful things to do while we were there. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Have you been to other places in Canada? Is there any other places that you've been to? Well, actually, uh, my wife and I were trapped in Vancouver. No, we weren't arrested or anything, but we were trapped there on 9-11. And we were coming back from a, a, a cruise on the inside passage, and we were sailing into Vancouver when the planes hit the towers in New York. And wow. so since the entire North American continent practically shut down when those planes hit the towers in New York on 9-11, uh, we couldn't get home. We couldn't cross mm-hmm. the border. We couldn't get on a plane. We couldn't do anything. So we were trapped in Vancouver. But, you know, if you're going to be trapped anywhere, 
What a great place to be trapped. Oh, isn't it beautiful? Uh, it's we, so beautiful there. Yeah, oh, we, we enjoyed it there. And we were actually on the cruise ship for several days before they would let us off. And, and this, to me, exemplifies the difference between men and women because my wife's first reaction was, oh, my goodness, our kids are at home and they need us. My first reaction was, we get to stay on the ship and eat free steak and lobster for another three days? I'm, <laughs> this is great. So that shows you the difference between men and women. Well, I don't think it's men and women. I would say that's probably uh, just a, a lawyer thing again. I think it's just coming up for you again and again. <laughs> oh, you know, I will I, ask I'm seeing you this the question. theme here. Bash the lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just teasing. Um, the uh, I will ask you this question, though, because it's why what made us late to come join you here was we were talking about the strangest things you've ever eaten. And tonight for dinner, I was in a place called Bragg Creek, which is a beautiful um, community just outside Calgary. And there um, I had wild boar meatballs. And that was new for me. And sort of asked around um, what all the different things that that sort of the guys uh, here uh, have had. And so we've got a whole bunch of texts from listeners and and stuff like that. Um, so the, the the Ray, the technical producer, he was talking about tripe and intestines and those things. And um, and Andrew, the show producer, Andrew, what was that called there? The thing with the chicken? Uh, balut. Blut? Balut. It's spelled balut. B-A-L-U-T. And that is a uh, that is a that is a chick. Inside the egg still, yeah. inside the eggshell. Oh, great. And you just you just bite it. You just eat it. It's kind of crunchy. Yeah. So what is the straight now? Steak and lobster clearly is uh, is on your menu. What is the strangest thing you've ever eaten? Wow. The strangest thing uh, I've ever eaten. Sober or not sober? Is that Wherever a clarification? Take, man, you, <laughs> we also found out last week that many of our listeners wake up with cheese, their hand in a cheese whiz jar after a night of drinking. So I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, I, I Boy, I don't even know if I want to ask about that on a follow-up. But um, the oddest thing I've ever eaten was uh, uh, there were things that I ate uh, on a trip to Mexico once that when I asked the, the place where we were, I said, describe for me what this is. And I was told, you don't want to know. Oh so I, 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 I have no idea what I ate. Uh, it wasn't in Tijuana, but it was in, it was in central Mexico and it was a very sketchy looking place. And I immediately wanted to start taking penicillin because I was concerned about what I had just consumed. But when I okay. asked them what it was, they said, you don't want to know. So I wish I could tell you, Shane, I don't know what I ate, but I didn't think I would ever want to eat there again. There was a, I was in Cancun once and I had a steak once that tasted like, not like steak. It was like a, this rubbery <laughs> thing. And then I was up all night. I couldn't uh, keep anything down. And then mm -hmm. I was, uh, I passed out on my airplane over Cuba on my way back to Toronto. And, um, and that was probably the strange thing that I ever, uh, didn't know what I ate. That was, mm -hmm. that's absolutely, um, the case. Anyway, we've got the call out for our listeners, uh, to let us know the strangest thing that, that they've ever eaten. And those texts are coming in. So for our audience, we're going to get to those coming up just a little bit. I did want to ask you a couple of things, uh, that are U S centric here, Brad, if that's okay. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. you know, uh, the U S postal service story, uh, that is going on, <laughs> yeah. which is between sure. sort of the money, the storyline, the voting, the politics behind it, everything else. And I don't ask from a place of politics because I'm not an American, so I could care less. I just want to look at it from the perspective of what's happening. And uh, so how, is it really playing out the way that we're seeing it play out in the news or is it just not? Is this just a political play by the media? Well, like with so many political stories uh, that go on in the U.S., Shane, uh, the, the truth is elusive. And, and yeah. the reason why I say the truth is elusive is this. This morning I'm watching CNN and Jake Tapper was interviewing the, the White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows. 
in talking to him about this postal service. And Mark Meadows said there's no evidence. In fact, he defied Jake Tapper, produce some evidence that we've taken postal machines out of commission, that we've reduced funding, that we've done anything to to make this situation worse. Mm-hmm. And Jake Tapper couldn't come up with anything. All we have at this point are statements from the postal union stating that they've anecdotally heard this was happening, but there's no objective evidence that it is. So at this point, it's kind of a he said, she said uh, because Postal Service Union says it's happening. There's no direct evidence been produced. So we're going to have hearings on it. Nancy Pelosi just announced today there's going to be hearings on this particular issue, uh, which I'm sure will be uh, very calm and they won't be uh, 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 overly dramatic. No, of course, they're going to be overly dramatic because we've got an election coming up in just a few months. So to that, and I don't understand what this all means because it's your country, not mine. So these are honest, honest questions. I find these curious. So on Twitter today, I found all of these uh, comments in North Carolina about um, absentee ballots. Now, it's a little different in Canada, the way that those sort of mail-in sort of uh, advanced voting, we call it, is is done. And inside his campaign, uh, Trump's campaign is sending out absentee ballot requests, and they've got pictures on them here. So I'm assuming that these are real pictures because they look like a real a document. Um, that's gone. That's gone. Try. Frankly, it's marketing genius. I don't know if it's uh, morally quite okay, but it's marketing genius. I'll give them absolute credit that, um, you know, there's basically a picture of Trump and on the request for the ballot, it says, are you going to let the Democrats silence you act now stand with Trump? And it's right on the request form. <laughs> like, how does that happen? I, I don't know. I've not, I've not seen that particular form. I'm going to go look for it. But, the, but the issue basically is this, that up to this point in, in the United States, you had to go and vote in person unless you could certify that you were out of town, that you were unable to appear, that you were going to be out of the country. And then when you did that certification process, you could vote absentee by mail. So obviously the number of absentee votes would be very small. But this year, because of COVID, that number is exploding and states have increase the ability to vote by mail. So this is creating an issue with the Postal Service because our Postal Service, it just doesn't have a stellar record about delivering anything on time or with a great degree of accuracy. So it raises the issue, number one, Will it be fair because if they if the Postal Service sends out ballots to an empty house and 5,000 people named Mickey Johnson all at the same address vote, that's going to be a problem. And conversely, it's a problem if people do vote legitimately, but the Postal Service doesn't deliver it until two weeks after the election. How do you handle that? That's not an issue that we've never we've ever had to deal with on a national level before now. Yeah, and I get that stuff. So all politics aside, if if it if it is found to be that because this could go both ways. I mean, this could be an absolute, you know, crap show either way. Right. Um, Easily. So it, it it if it goes that, you know, the 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 postal service could not deliver, <laughs> excuse the pun, um, <laughs> uh, you know, what, what the expectation of, of this is. So then that's problematic. Um, and then at the same time, what if they could deliver and what if there is some shutdown stuff or, I mean, cause you always, we always hear in all places, all countries, you know, sort of trying to stifle votes here or there, make it more difficult there, you know, hear about voting offices being moved out of certain neighborhoods and, you know, lower income don't have the same transportation to get there. You know, always these kinds of things going on for whatever reason. So either way, it could go bad. Um, so how do you how do you deal with that as a country when you say, OK, well, this has really gone sideways here to benefit nobody because it really doesn't benefit anybody mm-hmm. if it goes this way or that way. It just screws well, everybody. Here's how America's going to deal with it. More lawyers. 
and yeah. I'm 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 serious. I'm not being facetious. The yeah. the Republican National Committee has pledged twenty million dollars just for legal fees to fight the anticipated issues related to voting. And the Democrat National Committee has said they've already signed up 600 attorneys to aid them coast to coast in challenging these mail-in ballot issues that they anticipate occurring. So if we thought the whole issue years ago in Bush versus Gore, you remember that was when yep. we first heard the phrase dangling Chad, which yeah. I didn't that think you could Florida say thing, that on right? radio. I didn't, I didn't think you could say dangling Chad on radio, but, oh, but you can uh, dangle many things, my friend. You could, uh, yes, you can. So that was the first time we had to deal with that issue in the lawyers. But th- this, this is going to be the lawyers full employment act in the United States of America. Okay, so then my next question is, just before we go here, because we've got about two minutes, um, is that you said if the U.S. Postal Service sends out things to empty houses, whatever, dead people, you name it, right? Right. So, um, but why is the U.S. Postal Service sending that stuff out? We have something in Canada called Elections Canada. They handle all that. They're not the Canada Postal Service. So does that actually get handled by the U.S. Postal Service, or is that just a mm-hmm. misnomer? No, it's not handled by the Postal Service. It's handled by the individual uh, uh, counties or state uh, electoral districts, but they would be mailing those ballots through the Postal Service. Yeah, so I, I guess what I'm saying is that the address, does the address of that empty house or the dead person come from the elections department, or does it come from the post office? No, it, it would come from the election department, okay, but cool. there, there, but there's anecdotal evidence that if, if uh, uh, for example, if people die, the, the their names aren't necessarily stricken from the record. I can give you my own example. I have a first initial J, J. Bradley mm-hmm. Young, and uh, several years ago, I I was registered to vote in four different places with wow. J. Bradley Young, Brad Young at one address, and then J. Bradley Young and Brad Young at a different address. Now, obviously, I had, I, I had to notify the, the election board to fix that, but that's just one example of I could have voted four times, and chances are folks wouldn't have found it. So that's mm. the concern on one side. The other concern is stifling votes or preventing votes from being counted if the Postal Service is even uh, more dilatory than they normally are and the ballots don't arrive on time. Uh, it's it's very in-depth. And uh, now that I it's uh, it's Jay Bradley Young, I think that we're going to change Captain <laughs> to just Cappy. We're going to go with Cappy. Well, you know, I could be uh, uh, Zach Shane Hewitt. I mean, you know, yeah. you're, you're also a guy with three names, so don't well, throw that's... stones. That's a uh, that was when I used to do music radio. I literally walked in the office to a memo one day that said Shane Hewitt will now be known as Z Man Zach. So I was like, okay. <laughs> first of all, this is Canada. We don't say Z. We say Z in Canada. We say uh, Z. So that yep. was tough to explain. Uh, and then and then it was twenty years. And finally, I just got to a point where like I'm tapping out. That's it. I'm out. No more. And uh, I was uh, so. But now because <laughs> so much of the audience knows the one name, I just somehow try to connect the dots. Anyway, uh, Brad Young, thanks so much for the time, sir. I appreciate it. Shane, it's great to talk to you. Hope we can do this again. Good. I hope you get a little piece of that money fighting about the election, whichever way that goes. I'll be trying. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. The Canada Revenue Agency has shut down online services after cyber attacks exposed thousands of accounts. Man, oh man, oh man. So they've temporarily disabled online services from what has been reported as two separate cyber attacks that compromised the accounts. In a statement, the CRA said that it had disabled the services as an additional precaution. The Canada Revenue Agency just shut down all online services after thousands of accounts were breached in cyber attacks. 
Anyone trying to log into a CRA account is met with this message, telling them the service is not available. That means right now Canadians are not able to apply online for emergency COVID-19 funding, such as CERB. Hackers were able to access thousands of accounts using a technique called credential stuffing. It relies on databases of previously stolen login information. So there it is. The, uh, the storyline is written for you. Joining me now to talk about this is uh, Hank Fordham, Hank the Hacker uh, from Centurion Defense in Calgary. Hank is a white hat hacker. That means that Hank's uh, mission is to educate people about hacking, let people know when things are exposed. Hank, where the heck were you a few days ago when all this was happening, my friend? <laughs> no doubt, eh? Uh, thanks for having me on again, Shane. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on and talking about this. So let's uh, let's dig into this. Um, first of all, uh, what happened? I mean, you know this from the angle of um, of the hacking. You know, was it a big vulnerability? Um, the credential stuffing is very simple. Is that you know the the bad guys get someone's credentials from a previous hacker information leak? They just try it everywhere. And so, what what happened here? Well, you- I think this is a really good example of, of what happens when credential stuffing starts to hit the financial sector. And, and I don't think this is going to be the last instance of that either. And and the, the surprising thing is the amount or, or little amount of technological know-how and, and the small amount of training it could have taken to mitigate this. And, and, and the reason it, it's only going to get worse is because it, it's not a very complex thing to carry out. I, I think that it was pretty easy considering they could have either bought and, you know, dedicated lists of usernames and passwords off of the deep web or, or even carried out their own dedicated phishing campaigns. Yeah. Now there was a lot of it, uh, a lot of, there was thousands of these that were admitted by the CRA that were affected. So is it possible that if there was that many, then it's most likely, I, I guess, information that they traded for or bought, I, I would suggest online. Cause I mean, that's an awful lot of credentials to be able to get that all Canadians too, to dig in into those things. So you said it's easy to mitigate Hank. How does this mitigate? How is it mitigated? Well, I, I think even following the same steps as Google with Nest, uh, would be a good idea after I suggested to them forcing two-factor authentication for every user. Uh, they they finally took the advice this year, and, and that's now a feature. And I think if the CRA would take the same advice and make two-factor authentication a, a forced feature for every user, it, it, it would make attacks like this a lot more difficult to carry out. So... Do you know from this um, what areas of the CRA um, were impacted? Because I have a texter asking this question uh, right now, and it was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Were there any cyber attacks in the big banks in Canada? Because all of my online banking is down tonight. Um, I can log in, but I can't do any transactions. It comes up as just not available at the moment So for security reasons. So, um, you know, if it's the CRA... And maybe you know this different because they use the banking information for login access, don't they? Yeah, and that's the alarming thing is that I, I think some bank, some banking info was kind of compromised in this attack. I, I think uh, not directly, but in terms of being able to, you know, register for a CERB payment and have it redirected to a malicious user's bank account or um, even having maybe a child 
um, supports payment redirected to a malicious bank account. So is there any way to tell from, you know, I, maybe I don't know how to ask the question. Is there any way to tell, you know, it, how can you tell if the bank's things are, have been, have been, have been hit? Cause I mean, the last time I checked into CRA login, I mean, you used to use your banking information to get in there. So how is it possible they, that they don't get that if it's all encrypted? I mean, and if they're doing stuffing, I know in my particular case, um, if they're stuffing what's going on there, my sign in, yeah, because they've got the sign in partner. That's what it is. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, use your bank information to get into that. Now, my banking information is different. The one thing that I do right, I don't do a lot of things right in the world, world of passwords, but the one thing that I do right is that my banking information is different than any other password. And that's smart. Yeah. So, how is it possible that um, that this is even? How how can they not cross those wires, Hank? Well, it, it's it's hard to say what what information exactly was was gained in this attack, and and I think in terms of if you've been kind of one of the unlucky people to have one of these payments compromised, like redirected, or maybe even signed up for under your account, I, I think the CRA is working pretty diligently to to make these users aware and they were pretty quick about disabling the service once the accounts were affected. Hmm. So what else is going on in the world right now? Because we are seeing, um, you know, different activity. I received a login attempt, well, a successful login on my, uh, one of my Spotify accounts. I had a couple back in, you know, I have a couple email addresses. So I was cheap a long time ago. I signed up for a Spotify account. I ran out the freebie and then I signed up for a different one with a, uh, you know, when they give you the incentive of, you know, get whatever days for whatever mm-hmm. and did it that way. And, you know, I was just being cheap anyway. So one of my personal email addresses got a login attempt today and it was in France. And then about five minutes after that, there was another login attempt in Israel. That's what the email from Spotify said. And I double checked them. And I was like, wait a second, is this phishing campaign? So I double checked them on the computer. All the URLs were Spotify. Everything was Spotify. So I logged in and I kicked out everybody. Right. I did the login and it said log out of mm-hmm. all devices thing. So I did that yeah. part. Then I changed my password. And then I got an email from Spotify about five hours later that said suspicious activity on your account. Um, change your password. So I double checked everything again, did it all again. And uh, but just used a nondescript, huge, long password. <laughs> um, you know, one of those auto generated, big, long honking ones. Yeah. And uh, and went that way. So, I mean, what I mean, I guess somebody got into the account somehow. Well, yeah, and and Spotify is actually a really big target for credential stuffing right now, and there's there's a few reasons for that. And I guess the the lowest reason is that people are just stealing a lot of premium accounts to resell them, but people are also stealing premium accounts so that they can redeem uh, things like free Google Home Minis. Every every so often, Spotify might give out. Uh, Google Home Mini to every new premium subscriber, and so a lot of hackers will tend to resell those. Um, another possibility is kind of going back a few years to, uh, I, I guess, not a hacker, but uh, a guy in Bulgaria who registered. Um, he registered some fake music, and he actually made li- like playlists on Spotify and. He purchased a, a, a like I think it was a thousand premium accounts, and then he just made them all go listen to his music. 
And so he was able to clear like $300,000 from that legally. And I, I, I think that when that story hit the news, it kind of made Spotify a bigger target for hackers because, you know, if you have any kind of lead in the music industry or if you're able to register any of this like fake music or static t- tracks, then it's really easy to make a, a big profit by sending some of these hacked accounts to listen to your, your, your tracks. Interesting. So I make my own music. So we are the, uh, the Hank and Shane band and we we put together a couple of albums, you know, they're probably crappy, but we get them on. I mean, clearly Hank is a better singer than Shane is. (laughs) Uh, We get them on Spotify and then we have 10,000 accounts that we've hacked. We build playlists to play and they're literally running somewhere on some machine streaming our music nonstop. So we're getting a couple of pennies per spin. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it's really not that hard. Like my, my dad, um, he has music on Spotify. Uh, Kelly, Kelly J with Crowbar, I remember you asked me about him, yeah. I think, last week. And um, every, like, I think it's like 30 seconds to 45 seconds kind of registers for royalty payment. So that it, it takes not a lot of time or effort at all. Huh. So if you could, you could create a bot that would just constantly change the songs, right? Every minute? Yeah. Yeah, that's what they do. Huh. That's amazing. Like, the ingenuity really is quite quite amazing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And you see new things coming out every day, like on the deep web with them releasing APKs that give you access to premium. We're, we're actually doing a tour on the deep web um, with CenturionDefense.ca. Uh, we'll be uploading a new series for demystifying the deep web taking a little bit of a tour. So one of the things that a texter had said, and they raise a really good point is that I always log in directly without partners. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's probably a good thing, you know, Facebook login or use your Facebook mm-hmm. login to access something else. Yeah. Um, your, cause I mean, that does slide your information over too, by the way, that's a whole other thing. Um, but you know, the first pet name, mother's maiden name, all those, those are pretty simple, man. It's not hard to find out my mom's maiden name. So are these the kinds of questions now, these seems, this seems like an old and antiquated security system, but should we lie about those and maybe use a friend's dog name or something like that? Is that the kind of solution we should be working on? Yeah, why not? I mean, uh, the more obfuscated you can get when you're creating a password, the more of an advantage you have and the, the more educated you are with, you know, cybersecurity and, and better practices online. I think the more advantage you have in general from with protecting yourself from things exactly like this. One of the things that I've noticed is that if I leave a letter out of a password, right? So if my password was crowbar and then I just mm-hmm. left out the A, right? So it was crowbar. Yeah. It's like I was from the East Coast day with the crowbar. <laughs> so what, um, you know, I mean, are those reasonable solutions to set people off or do we need to, you know, go with a big long honk and hash this exclamation point that? You know, albeit just being a word without any numbers or symbols, I, I think yeah, you're on the right track, um, and and that's along with the the more the more you can obfuscate or really kind of trick your password up, I guess, or, or try and trick people, the the better. And another reason for that is so that people can't try and use brute forcing against you using common words or trying to generate a word list based on like you said, maybe animals that you own or 
places that you were born instead of your friends' animals or places your friends were born. I mean, it seems silly. We go and we post about our pets on Instagram yeah. or Facebook all the time. Like, here's little Stevie, my Great Dane. And, you know, and then all of a sudden someone goes and logs in and they go, you know, little Stevie 1975. Like, that wouldn't be hard to figure out. I, I was able to guess my friend's password the other day pretty quickly um, just by kind of like get, looking at their pets' names and some lucky numbers, I guess you could say. Really, hey? Did you tell your yeah. friend this, or was it, this is like a, this is oh, what I, hackers I do for drinking I, games, or what? I asked for permission. Oh, okay, just checking. I never know. I just imagine a bunch of hackers at a party, and <laughs> everyone puts five bucks on the table, and the first one to hack their friends' accounts is, gets the gets the pot. It'd be like hacker poker. Hey, we could be onto something. I mean, here. you're not that far off. That's how Zuckerberg <laughs> started Facebook. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. He would have little. Yeah, he would have little parties and do capture the flags, and the first one to get the flag would get hired. Probably really? like they probably overspiced it in the movie, but yeah, that they played it out like that. So, what are we seeing going on on the uh, on the web right now? What are we? What are our biggest things other than Spotify? Um, is there anything else going on? The CRA gets hit. Um, clearly, Shane's Spotify gets hit. Um, the uh, <laughs> what else is going on that we should be aware of? Man, I think I think ransomware is making a startling appearance, and especially right now, considering everyone's working from home. And I, and having said that, I, I think one of the biggest kind of like advantages you can give yourself is is trying to again get educated with best practices online, like you know being able to notice a, a malicious email when it comes to you, or even a malicious phone call. Um, I I got an email today offering $15 million and that's obviously fake. But I also got an email the other day that looked like it was um, from PayPal and Mm -hmm. people are even able to spoof emails and make it look like it was sent from a legitimate sender. So it's, it's a good idea to kind of hover over links or copy the link in your email and make sure that you're not going to a malicious website. And that's just checking the URL to make sure it makes sense? Yeah. Huh. All right, there it is, spoofing, hacking. And the, I would uh, lose my radio uh, membership card here if I didn't ask you, Hank, what was the strangest thing that you've eaten in your life? Oh, man, I, I heard you asking that, and I'm not going to be anywhere close to the lawyer with you know the unknown Mexico food, but uh, can I cheat and go with the, like, the, the weirdest thing I ever drank? Sure. Have you ever heard of Ramune? No. It, it's like this pop that to open it, you have to like push a marble through the lid. Uh-huh. It's the weirdest pop ever. It's like a Japanese drink. Uh-huh. I guess the weirdest thing I ever ate was like a sucker with a scorpion in it. I'm not, I, I don't have too many, too many. See, weird that's weird. Food I items. think that's weird, dude. Like, I think that's more than weird. That's the qualifies on the weird scale. No problem. Oh, sweet. There we go. <laughs> Um, so we just had one text come in, um, and maybe you can just comment on this before we let you go here. Just think of a random sentence that you can remember and use the first letter of each word as your password. Like my mom likes purple socks on Tuesdays and then like rotate, rotate capitals and and lowercase letters. My mom, M M L P for purple socks on Tuesdays. Fit a symbol and some numbers in there and you go. Right. That's good. I like that one. The sentence is really, really good. That's a great way to do it. I might try that. Hey, I, I like that. you know, I wouldn't now, but 
<laughs> so there was another one about swapping letters for um, numbers. I mean, that's kind of old school sort of QWERTY keyboard, you know, geekery yeah, stuff where your E becomes you know, a three. The, I mean, that's pretty common now. The scary thing about that is like, even if you just go basic and like, say, if I just did like Hank Fordham and replaced the A with an at and the O with a zero, um, they, there's tools that are specifically developed to generate password lists that will match that kind of an obfuscation pattern. So you really want to get tricky with it. Like you're trying to beat a bot. So that was a, that was a good idea some time ago, but now you're battling a robot when you're doing it. Yeah, you're on the right track, but play with a little more. There you go. All right. Thanks so much, Hank Fordham from Centurion Defense in Calgary. If you want to take the, the tour on the dark web, uh, just Google Centurion Defense Calgary and you'll see that one and uh, see what the tour looks like. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much, Shane. You bet you talk to you soon. Hank Fordham from Calgary. He's a white hat hacker. He really claimed to fame when he was in on the Nest hacks. Um, and he was logging in to these uh, Nest devices to let people know they had been hacked. Mostly businesses. It was intended as businesses. Turned out there was a realtor who had used a business um, on his personal address, classic realtor, right off the home. And, um, and what happened was he ended up scaring the crap out of the guy. So they ended up on Dr. Phil together. Um, talking about it and uh here we are whitehead hacker hank fordham thanks for being there this is the shift daily podcast all right are you okay with chicago looters vandalizing a ronald mcdonald house no what no 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 who would be okay no good reason for that that's dumb um all right uh i think we all agree that uh we should not do that last monday looters descended upon parts of chicago in wake of civil unrest they targeted dozens of businesses one such business was more a home for sick kids and their families looters also targeted the ronald mcdonald house in streeterville vandals struck early monday morning as families were sleeping inside you can see several windows smashed and the front door was boarded up for a while. Residents were placed on lockdown while the commotion was happening right outside. We're here for families um, in all times, whether there's a pandemic or civil unrest. We need to make sure that we are here allowing families to get the rest they need while they have a child in the hospital seeking care. And it's so important that despite anything that might be going on outside, um, we, we maintain our care for families. No appointments or treatments were missed because of that incident. Well, that's from CBS2 in Chicago. Sounds like a Chicago guy. Chicago. Um, but the story doesn't end just there. The looting and vandalism might not have caused any treatments to be missed. More importantly, a sick two-year-old missed her birthday party. Here's the update. Today, we're learning the personal toll that Monday's looting took on a suburban family. Little boy battling cancer missed his own birthday party. Meet two-year-old Owen Buell. He and his parents were staying at the Ronald McDonald House for over a month while he received treatment for, for stage four neuroblastoma. They planned to return home in Joliet just in time for Owen's second birthday, but then they got a call from a nurse. Her exact words were, I don't know if you've seen the news yet, but they're protesting or rioting outside Lori's Children's and we're gonna cancel all of the appointments today. I was crying. I was mad. I was extremely mad. Mad because the Buells were forced to wait. You can see looters damaged around the McDonald House. Family finally made it home to Joliet the next day to enjoy Owen's birthday cake. Oh. Happy birthday, little guy. Yes, happy birthday. 
Happy oh, belated, Owen. Owen. Now, Owen's two, I'm, so I'm guessing he's probably not up at this time of day. No, probably not. But let's, uh, let's just uh, recognize how important that would be for those parents, my God. Well, and imagine, too, you know, it's bad enough that the place, you know, gets looted and gets vandalized. Uh, and, you know, as much as, you know, some might snicker at, oh, he missed his birthday. This is a sick kid. Well, yeah. Right? I it's mean, any kid. Any kid. You, memories. You, you don't want to miss any kid's birthday party. Right? Yeah, I think that, um, I think that you can't, um, I mean, those are pretty precious, especially. Can, I can only yeah. imagine what that's like for the parents. You can't put a, a, you know, you can't put a price tag on something like that. I would absolutely agree. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt on the Shift. Andrew C. Ferreira. That's close enough. I'll take that. Ferreira. Is here. And uh, not only is he here, but he's got got his glasses on. He's got his pocket protector tucked into his uh, Vancouver Canucks jersey. Gee, I do have my glasses cleaner tucked into a shirt pocket underneath the jersey. So, oh, very good. So it's pretty close, I would say. That's a, that's a high five. I, I mean, don't carry I, pens in my shirt. I'm too paranoid. I, I don't want to. I don't want to bother with a pocket protector because one, the one day that I would forget it would be the one day that the pen just spills ink all over my shirt. This is true. Embrace your geekness, brother. So I'd rather just carry my pens, and I've got my pen here, um, so. but um, I don't keep it in my pocket. It's just, just too dangerous for me. <laughs> What's on the science docket there, my friend? Uh, heat waves. Heat waves is in temperature? Yes, is in temperature. As in looking around the temperature of the country? Uh, not just the country, but the world, really. Uh, it, you know, it's no secret that heat waves, and, you know, along with all the other wonderful, wonderful things that climate change uh, is giving us in terms of weather, uh, it's, no surpri- it's no you know, surprise, really, that they've been getting more and more common. Uh, and as well as getting more and more common, more and more severe. Um, the one example that I want to draw on today um, is the there was a really bad heat wave in Japan in July of 2018. Uh, a good chunk of the country had multiple days in a row above 35 degrees Celsius. Uh, the, Japan recorded its highest ever temperature on one of those days at 41.1 degrees Celsius. And I know that, you know, if, if you're someone who's listening who's, you know, from Palms, you know, from Palm Spring or Death Valley, you know, like, oh, but it gets to 50 here. Yeah, you're right. But that's a different heat. And it's also you're all, all of your buildings are built to withstand that heat. The reason why, you know, when Vancouver, for instance, has a heat wave, we actually had a heat advisory today. But, you know, down by the water, it was only maybe 29 degrees. You know, if you drive kind of in towards the interior of the province for about 45 minutes, you might be in the mid-30s, which to people in, you know, say Manitoba and Ontario, they're going, yeah, okay, that's hot. Uh, but in on the West Coast, we're not built for that. People aren't used to that kind of heat. And so heat is in itself kind of a subjective thing. You look at, you know, the Mediterranean. All the houses are painted white. They're, you know, they were extremely well insulated, keeping, you know, they're built for that. On the West Coast, not so much. All of our houses are built to keep the rain out, right, to keep the wind. That's uh, a very good point. And, uh, and it also comes to it with the experience. You know, in Vancouver, it rarely, you know, if ever, goes above 30 in the summer. In Toronto, that's, you know, a normal thing that happens for weeks and weeks. Uh, so that's what happened in Japan. It hit 41.1 in uh, one suburb of Tokyo. Um, and it was kind of the uh, the big tip-off 
uh, and it's only been it's been two years now. And uh, the Pulitzer Center has released a piece, and this is now the first concrete evidence we have. Uh, these are the and this is the name of the story: the first undeniable climate change deaths. 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 Uh, a bunch of scientists who are much smarter than me uh, went and crunched the numbers. And using statistics, they were able to say, okay, given this heat wave, how likely is it to have occurred if climate change wasn't really a factor, right? How likely was it for this to have occurred? Uh, And the answer was uh, it was essentially impossible without climate change. Really? Yep. But how do they know that? Uh, Lots of big computer fancy models, really. Uh, And let me find it here. Uh, The theory underlying the process is simple and replicable. Uh, Basically, (laughs) they they used two computer simulations of the climate, one with all of, you know, the crap that we put in the atmosphere flowing around in it, and one without. So you kind of have the control, which is if humans didn't exist, and you have the variable, which is us. We are the variable. Uh, And they assess the likelihood of, you know, how likely is this extreme weather event to happen, right? Uh, And at the end of the day, it was 0.00003% odds of that happening, which is about once in every – that Japanese heat wave was a 1 in 3.3 repeating million years uh, heat wave. And so statistically they said, yeah – it is we're willing to say with certainty that this is human caused. Uh, and yes, I did say deaths. Um, according to official numbers in, in that July heat wave in Japan, uh, more than 70,000 people were hospitalized. Whoa. More than, and more than 1,000 died officially. And this isn't counting the deaths that happened that may have had a slight role to play from this. Those are only the ones where we could say it was because of this heat wave that these people died. Wow. So, you know, these are what some scientists are saying are the first definitive climate change deaths. And that made me think, too, because I'd just seen a piece maybe a week and a half ago uh, about something that I didn't give much thought to until I kind of had a realization. Uh, we name hurricanes. Mm-hmm. We name cyclones, we name typhoons, they're all the same thing, they just happen in different oceans. Um, and even the, the United Kingdom has started naming uh, winter storms. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that they do now. It's, it's to make it more uh, easy for people like you and me and the media and you know all the schmucks around us to get a handle on severe weather. It's a lot easier to say hurricane, I don't know, Jimothy... Steve. Uh, is going to bear down on wherever than it is saying Storm 17. Storm 17, uh, okay, whatever. But sticking a name to what makes it stick in our minds. And so there's a group of researchers who are saying that if we really want to save lives, you know, not to say that things like tornadoes and hurricanes and blizzards don't kill people, but heat waves really kill people and it's kind of the heat waves do it silently there's no you know neighborhood destroying cataclysm there's no ground shaking building collapsing it's just the people who are unfortunate enough to not have access to air conditioning uh the people who are unfortunate enough to you know maybe not be in the best of health right it's these people that heat waves kill 
Uh, the World Health Organization estimates that between 1998 and 2017, more than 166,000 people have died due to exposure to extreme heat. In the U.S. alone, over 600 people every year die from exposure to extreme heat. Wow, that makes sense in the States, man. It gets hot. Yeah. And so that outstrips deaths from hurricanes, floods, or tornadoes in in most years. So then scientists are saying, maybe we should be naming heat waves now. Oh, that makes sense. Why wouldn't you do that? Although heat waves are so... I guess it's the same as tornado and all those things. I mean, did you see the fire tornado? Yeah, the fire tornado. To be fair, fire tornadoes are more common than you think they are. It's just because it's 2020. Um, I can give you a quick rundown. Fire tornadoes exist because inside of a wildfire... There's a lot of heat, and heat rises. And in a cloud formation, like one made of smoke, as heat rises, air rushes in underneath it to take its place, as everything wants to go to equilibrium in nature. As hot air rises, cold air will rush in to replace it. And if you get this fast enough, you'll get a a thunderstorm cloud. And if you get it rotating enough, you'll get a tornado. And that's the basis of it. They're ugly. They are, but they're... They look very freaky. Like, Like, the day's not bad enough with the forest fire <laughs> that the forest fire needs to turn into a tornado just to, to show make, us who's just really to in hurry you along a little bit, right? Just yeah. to remind you, by the way, get out of Dodge. Yep. But, and you bring up a good point going back to the heat waves, heat waves. And this goes back to my first point are very variable. A heat wave in Vancouver is not a heat wave in Toronto is not a heat wave in Arizona is not a heat wave, you know, in the middle East. Yeah, and the Humidex uh, in some places really kicks into that, right? Like you get into southern Ontario, man, it is dripping. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it can be hot there, and then you take that exact same temperature to Calgary, and it's, you know, it's it's perfectly fine. It's fine. Because it's yep. not, as, not as damp, right? I remember when I lived in Sudbury doing radio when the forecast would be like, today the high is 28, overnight tonight the high or the low is 32. Mm. Like it would get warmer overnight plus mm. the Humidex. That's gross. But, you know, they're, they're saying that, you know, if we're able to standardize in a way, even regionally, uh, some of what causes, you know, if we can, you know, label heat waves based on intensity, length, duration, etc., uh, perhaps we can, you know, start to really look at the kind of damage that heat waves do to people. Yep. Because, like I said, there isn't this, this cataclysmic, you know, city-destroying power. It's just a silent killer, really, and that's how the scientists uh, refer to it. Heat waves are a silent killer. For instance, if you were able to say, instead of there's a heat warning, which is vague, there is a category two heat wave, right? Just like the way we have category one through five hurricanes, the way we've got the Fujita uh, F scale for tornadoes, uh, and how we even have, um, even in the UK, you know, they name their winter storms, like, if we're able to categorize, name, label these things, perhaps we will be better equipped to deal with them. Perhaps the public will be more aware of the dangers. Because it's easy to say, you know, if you ask someone, you know, difference between like a you know, Category 1 and a Category 5 hurricane, you just, of course, you know what's happening. But what's the difference between a heat, you know, a heat warning, an extreme heat index, a heat advisory, it's all vague kind of, oh, I guess it's going to be really hot. Mm. And so, you know, th- this, uh, the official, you know, the official death toll from that Tokyo uh, heat wave is completely unknown. Um, again, officially, it's only 1,032. But there are people who are living in Tokyo and ever for the past, you know, half dozen years, 
uh, summer has become synonymous with the sound of fire engines Hmm. because of all the emergency calls uh, that, you know, in Japan, especially an aging population. Elderly folks are a lot more susceptible to uh, to extreme temperatures. And so maybe this is just a Japan thing, but I think that the idea that we can categorize and label uh, extreme weather events of all sorts, especially ones that silently, you know, take the most lives, I think it's something that we should look at. I find it... Um I mean, why wouldn't you? But uh, there's enough fear in the world too, though. Unless people are educated around it. You know what? Can I, I'll summarize the weather since we're talking about it. (laughs) Uh, Vancouver special weather statement, a brief uh, heat spell for this week uh, is in the forecast. And then Calgary has got the heat warning as vague as it is. It looks like it's going to be two or three days above 30, 32, 33. Edmonton is the same. And then you've got Kamloops, which has got, uh, where did Kamloops go? Kamloops does have a heat warning, 36 tomorrow in Kamloops, 34 for Tuesday, Wednesday, 33, Thursday, 31. That's the hottest of them all. Not a big surprise in the interior this time of year, though. And then we get into Winnipeg. It's just hot. There's no heat warning. Toronto has no heat warning, um, just hot with the humidex. But temperatures are actually quite cool in the mid-20s. Same thing with the Hammer and Londonia is going to be about the same too. Yeah. And, you know, just to, to cap it off here, um, because I'm a nerd and I follow weather stations from around the world, uh, I looked through the Japanese ones earlier today, and I they're in the middle of a heat wave right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm pretty sure I've got this here. I do. Here, let me just uh, bubble this up underneath me here. This is this is an excerpt, and it's in Japanese, so unless you know Japanese, you'll, you have no idea what they're saying. No, I, I'm not brushed up. Uh, you're not? It's okay. 明日も危険な暑さに厳重な警戒が必要となります。こちらは明日15日土曜日14時の気温の予想をご覧いただいています。So basically the very first thing she opens up with is there is like it is dangerously hot. Dangerously hot. Mm. Also just like to say that that background music is wonderful. Well, Japanese is just a nice language to listen to. I, it's so good. I it like is. It. And the reason I bring that up is because I'm just looking uh, in the coastal city. This is a coastal city of Hamamatsu, which is kind of between Tokyo and Kyoto on the coast. Uh, they mm-hmm. hit 41.1 today. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio.